0: I'm Duncan Macleod, and this is the Tech Central Show, or TCS for short. If you haven't subscribed, youtube.com slash techcentral is the place to do that. Otherwise, subscribe to our daily newsletter, and you'll get the latest local and international tech news, as well as these interviews delivered to your inbox at 5 a.m. every day. The address to use to subscribe is techcentral.co.za slash newsletter. Now, I'm really excited about our next conversation uh, I'm joined in the studi- studio by Yan Bezaidnout, and he is relatively newly appointed CEO of Metro Fibre. Is, is the full company name still Metro Fibre Networks, or have you it, dropped the networks?
1: It is, but uh, we're using Metro Fibre on its own now.
0: On its own, yeah. okay. Um, and Metro Fibre is one of the country's biggest fibre to the home, and you do some fibre to the business as well. That's correct. Uh, fibre telecommunications players, and um, a company I perhaps haven't focused enough on in the past, so I'm really excited about Chatting to you today about finding, a bit of, finding out a bit more about Metro Fiber and where you guys are going. Um, but Yan Yan, welcome. Um, Thank you. I guess my first question is uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Metro Fiber. When did it get a start? Who were
1: who the guys behind it? Sure, uh, Duncan. So the, the business was started in 2010. Mm-hmm. We had four founders, uh, of which Steve Boyson was one. Uh, he's the former CEO of ABSA. Correct. Interesting uh, career move. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We can talk about that a bit more uh, in sure. a minute. So uh, the business was started and founded in April 2010 mm-hmm. and started operations uh, later that year. And it was seeded with capital from Steve and the other three founders. Uh, they had made some money out of their equity sale out of Dark Fiber Africa mm-hmm. and actually involved in the uh, founding of that business as well. And the idea was to go and pre-fiber business parks. So no fiber to the home at that point in time. Pre-fiber business parks and sell it on an open access basis. Okay. So the team started off, uh, fibered up four business parks uh, in and around Gauteng. When you say pre-fiber, you mean bringing fiber to the entrance of the park. So, yeah. So um, previously, access technologies would be deployed on order from a customer. Okay. And the idea here was to build on risk. In other words, to go into a business park, reticulate it, um, fiber it up, mm-hmm. so to speak, and then for ISPs to go and sell services to end customers uh, in that specific business park. Right. So you're building on risk, right? And mm. you've got to make sure that, you know, you're getting customers signed up, which is one of the main reasons why the business is open access, so we can utilize all of our ISP partners to, you know, to get take up mm. in that specific park. So the team went, uh, they did that. <clears throat> they depleted funds fairly quickly, uh, which is a, a common curse in this business. It's very capital intensive. Yeah, sure. And um, they then started looking for institutional capital to to build out you know, the proof of concept that they, you know, uh, in the investment that they had made. Yeah. So I came across them in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I was working for Sunlam, in their private equity business. and uh, Doing we went, what? Uh, making private investments, so investments okay. into into private businesses. So was some of that in the telecom space as well? C- correct. Okay. And prior to that, I was at ABSA, which is okay. where the Steve link ah, comes back. So do you know Steve from there? I, I do. Okay. Uh, and we were involved, again, in financing some of the early open access uh, wholesale operators like Dark Fiber Africa. Okay, In, in any event, so, so we went to work. We did a you know, big due diligence on the business, given that it was a startup. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really the type of uh, assets that we invested in. And we managed to convince the investment committee there to you know, give us funding in both uh, the form of equity and mezzanine financing okay. to get so the business. So mezzanine financing so is? So mezzanine financing is, yeah it's, yeah, it's very expensive debt. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's normally a, a financing instrument that you'll use when you don't qualify for traditional senior debt. Ah. Uh, so it's quasi-equity-like. Uh, the yields are quite high and is generally used, you know, in, in the startup phases mm-hmm. of businesses. Mm-hmm. So it's an alternative to raising equity capital. In any event, so we raised the money and we went to work to get the business to break even, Mm -hmm. which was challenging. And we deployed into a number of other uh, business parks. At the time, the business had uh, 17 staff and about 27 clients. So that ratio would uh, already tell you that (laughs) things were not uh, where they should have been. Right. But we managed to get the business to cash flow break even in 2016. Mm-hmm. So once we had achieved that, uh, it put us in a position to raise further equity from new investors uh, and from Sunlam again as well, mm-hmm. and to bring so Sunlam
0: had already put some money in. Correct. Absa as well.
1: No, not no, Absa. Not, not at Apsa. that stage. Okay. No. okay. Um, and we so we raised this additional money to, you know, to continue building out the business. Mm-hmm. What was interesting is that in 2014, 2015, the idea of rolling out fiber to homes Mm -hmm. um, came to the fore. And prior to that, it was common cause that there was no business case for fiber to the home in South Africa. People would, you know, can't afford it. It's too expensive to roll out. You know, is there enough demand for these types of services? What changed? I think, um, you know, the power of fiber uh, was sort of becoming prevalent in other countries. uh, And... The rate of data usage and demand for line speed is going up as it is today, mm-hmm. so you know I think that I think that's what sh- uh, what changed it, and it needed to take some entrepreneurs um, you know it, it needed some, some entrepreneurs to take some risk yeah. to take a chance and to go and fiber up some of these suburbs. Right? Yeah. It's so.
0: interesting to look back now because um, it seems so obvious that there was this latent market demand for fiber. I mean, at the time, we were reliant on Telcom's ADSL network, Absolutely. which was very slow. It was expensive. Uh, and, and suddenly there was this massive deployment of fibre-to-the-home infrastructure in South Africa. It was, it was almost as if we were just waiting for someone to flick yes. a switch, and then everyone realised there's this massive opportunity here. Yeah, that's right. Um, why, why do you think the te- big telecommunications operators were so slow to
1: catch on to this trend? I'm not, I'm not sure, Duncan. Mm. I mean, I think, I think because of the capital investment required, yeah. and, and let's remember, it started all fairly slowly. Mm. Right? It was single suburb here, single suburb there, and then you've got to raise money to know to go and deploy at large scale yeah and that takes a bit of time you know investors ask you know a lot of questions yeah. if you want to raise big money from them uh, and you need to prove the model mm. so you know what does peak penetration look like in a suburb is it will 25% of the people take it will 60% of the people take it mm-hmm. you need to start proving some of those assumptions and then you manage to attract you know attract Defending. equity mm. and along that uh, alongside that you know additional debt to to go and build out these these big networks right. So um, so 2015, 2015 came, we saw the opportunity along with some of the other operators and we very carefully uh, started deploying into certain suburbs. Okay. Uh, and that was the catalyst for us to go and raise additional money from new investors, as I said, and to get, you know, it's called a proper bank debt mm. onto our balance sheet. Mm. And since then, we've done another three rounds uh, of equity, uh, refinanced our debt facilities, you know, alongside each of those equity rounds. So
0: who are some of the investors that have come on for the journey along this? Along this
1: yeah, process? so we've we've consolidated our, our shareholder base, and our main uh, backers at the moment uh, include Old Mutual. Mm-hmm. So they are 42% shareholder in our business. Wow, okay. And they manage, uh, or at least the pools of capital that are invested into our business uh, comes out of uh, various places in, in the old mutual stable. Mm-hmm. So it's managed by AIM, or Africa Infrastructure Investment Managers. They're also one of the biggest um, private power owners in the country. And then our second largest shareholder is a French investment firm called Infra and Energy. Mm-hmm. So that's a... I
0: remember that acquisition, yes.
1: Correct. So what do they own in the business? So they, they're sitting around 25%, 25% at the moment. Okay. And then we brought in a new BE partner uh, three years ago, Called uh, it's it's a vehicle called Lavoca, and the the business that sits behind it is the South African Infrastructure uh, Housing and Infrastructure Fund, SAIF. Okay. okay. So uh, between the three of them, they own over eighty percent of the business, and the rest are you know small strategic shareholders in management.
0: Is Sunlamp still involved, or have they
1: actually- No, they've 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 been bought out. Okay. Uh, post the uh, old mutual funding round, mm-hmm. there there was a need from them. Exit. They private equity investors, yeah. and you know, have, have a limited lifespan sure. in terms of um, you know how long they they remain invested in business. Mm. And so, uh, Old mutual and Stoa and Save bought them out.
0: So roughly, how much money have you raised uh, to date for building out this network? So
1: in terms of equity, we've we've raised close on four billion rand. Wow. Um, and then obviously the debt funding goes alongside that. Yeah. Okay, so that's, it's a substantial amount that's,
0: of. That's big money, and and you, are you looking to do further capital raises down the line? As, as yeah, so expands?
1: we we're in an interesting space at the moment, mm-hmm. right? So <clears throat> we've gone through a massive phase of growth, in terms of deploying network and deploying infrastructure right across the country, and we now need to let's call it reorientate our business around monetization of that network. Right, that's where the rebrand, the product position. The, you know, the new products that we've launched, uh, where that positioning comes from. Uh, so we we need to make a shift as a business uh, in that direction. But we continuing to build out. So this year, we've got uh, in the budget around 100,000 homes mm-hmm. we want to build. And we want to continue on, you know, on that sort of cadence uh, into the foreseeable future. Is there still a land grab going on in fibre telecommunications? Yeah, so the it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, at the moment, there's 5 million South African houses that are covered with fiber access. That's amazing. 5 million. 5 million. That's astonishing. 4 million of those uh, specifically on, let's call it the traditional sort of FTTH uh, model, right. month-to-month contracts and
0: So five million is the number of households that can get fibre.
1: Correct. That not necessarily households that have signed up for fibre. No, that that number is around one point seven seven million. Okay. Yeah. So that's and remember, a lot of those deployments uh, have come very recently. Yeah. So you know, people don't sign up as fast as we've built in the past. Uh, We wish they would, but um, they do. They do come along as the networks or the precincts go live, uh, and we expect you know we expect the penetration rates across all of the fiber that's been deployed to go up uh, over time.
0: How many households are there in South Africa and what percentage of that total so do you think there's is? There's
1: 18 million households in South Africa. 18 million. How 18 many of those million. do you think might eventually sign up for fiber? So we, we believe, so like I said, five million covered at the moment. We believe there's at least another 10 million. To cover. Mm-hmm. That we can cover. Um, and remember, you have got to take into account things like density and, right. you know, our rural. That's where different access technologies play an important role. Right, fibre is more suited to dense, mm. densely populated environments, and then it also depends on where the national long-distance routes or the backhaul oh. um, drops off. You mm-hmm. know, which towns do they cover and which, which don't they cover. But,
0: so if there's no long, national long-distance <coughs> fibre in a particular town, it, it's difficult for a fibre operator to... Of course, to get, because
1: yeah. then you've got to build that route as well, which, yeah, again, expensive. Is, is, is expensive.
0: Are, yes. most, are most towns in South Africa covered by some sort
1: of business? Many of them are. Okay. Many of them are, and most of those towns are receiving attention either from okay. ourselves or some of the other operators yeah. in getting them fibered up. Okay, okay.
0: Uh, so Steve Boyson, he, he was one of the co-founders of this business. Um, former CEO of AppSea. So you took over from him in June last year. That's right. Uh, he's exited the business now, has he? he? Has, yes. Okay. Is he, does he remain a shareholder?
1: No. So, he's sold, yeah, okay. he sold out his shareholding. Okay. Um, he turned 60 last year. Mm-hmm. You know, he's... Um, wants to do better things with uh, with it's his time, time. Mm-hmm. and so he decided to step off uh, right. in June last year. Okay, okay. Yeah. so you've been in the role for
0: nine months or so now.
1: Uh, correct. Okay. I've been operationally involved for a little bit longer than that, so okay. uh, it's going on four years um, right. this April. And I've been involved as a non-executive board member uh, since 2013.
0: Yeah, okay. So maybe just give me a brief overview of the state of the FTTH market in South Africa, specifically right now. Um, There are a lot of players in the market. There is some consolidation going on. For example, we're seeing the um, merger, I guess I could call it, uh, of um, the Vodacom and Vuma fiber assets. Um, Do you expect more consolidation to happen? Uh, Do you expect that um, some companies are going to get into trouble because there's a lot of build going on. And sure. I'm sure some of these companies are going to focus on building in the wrong areas. Sure. Um, what's the outlook for this market over the next couple of years?
1: So, so again, um, I think the traditional sort of leafy suburb areas uh, that were initially identified you know, to be rolled out into because they represented lower risk from a capital deployment perspective, those are effectively saturated, right? right. So what we're seeing now in those areas, is some level of overbuild from oh, some okay. of the operators, which is you know, a very inefficient way to. You does know, it ever make sense to, to deploy two FTTH networks in a suburb? I don't think it does, uh, Duncan, because mm. you know the the bulk of the major F&Os are open access providers. Right? right. That means you can choose, you know, one of 150 ISPs. Right. To take a service from. Now, if two open access, um, you know, FNOs go and build alongside each other in a suburb. Mm the best you're going to do is get half of, you know, half of what's available. Mm-hmm. And that makes the return metrics on the capital that you've deployed in that suburb less attractive than what it would be otherwise. Yeah. And it could make it uneconomical even if you're only getting an
0: attachment rate in the, that suburb
1: absolutely. because they're two networks. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and, and what happens then is there's a spillover effect in that you know, debt and equity providers that mm-hmm. you know, we rely on to fund the expansion of these networks, that starts drying up. Right? Mm-hmm. If it if it's too severe, mm-hmm. uh, so you know we hope that that won't continue, and it certainly isn't part of our strategy to to overbuild other operators. Right, um, but it is a you know it is a bit of an issue in the leafy suburbs.
0: Interesting. Is there one particular company that's overbuilding, so, or so is it the, the company
1: that's been most most sort of active in overbuild is OpenSurf.
0: Okay, okay, and
1: I think it's because of you know their legacy infrastructure that's in some of these suburbs.
0: They've got the the ducts there already so it can just blow Correct. fiber Correct, and they,
1: you know, they, they had ADSL in the area and they you know, were maybe not as fast to, ah. to repurpose mm-hmm. uh, and they're going through that process now.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, uh, uh, we, we had a fiber provider come into to our area and then OpenServe arrived and wanted to build fiber as well and we said sure. Um, you know, As residents, we felt this would be in our interest if sure. not necessarily in the interest of the operator and so we signed a whole lot of documents for them to come in and... And blow their fiber they said they use their existing ducts etc and they never came back which i thought was interesting so obviously they had a discussion behind the scenes and decided well maybe we shouldn't be do building twice in this area
1: interesting mm. yeah don't know what happened there but yeah. um it, uh, i think it's not unusual to get requests for overbuild where people are struggling with let's call it multiple fiber breaks and so on mm. uh, in specific areas but mm-hmm. as i said i think in the long run and to ensure that you know, most South Africans get access to fiber, it's probably not a good idea mm. because you're duplicating, you're duplicating infrastructure. Mm. And you know, as I said, the, that feeds through to, to returns for capital providers, yeah. which yeah. is never good in the long run. For sure, yeah. for sure.
0: I want to ask you a bit about the township opportunity and, sure. and wiring up poor areas in the country. We had Steve Briggs on the show um, mm-hmm. a couple of months ago, uh, Project Is Seaswear, uh, and he spoke about the Mundi project that's happening in Stellenbosch yes. and some of the work they're doing there, and they're talking about offering, I think it was for five rand a day getting uncapped internet access, right. which sounds amazing. Um, what, what's your take on the, the opportunity in the townships and also in areas that perhaps haven't been served by, traditionally by telco, yes. for example?
1: Yes, so we, I mean, we're deploying into underser- underserviced areas that... Are on you know that are adjacent to our existing fibre infrastructure, okay. uh, that includes areas like Tembisa and Quazakele in the Eastern Cape, and we you know we optimistic about the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing very good demand uh, come out of those areas, but I think as you move lower down the affordability curve, it mm-hmm. becomes more challenging, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to become more innovative in one. How you deploy the infrastructure, so your cost to build uh, to each one of those households or devices, as the case may be, depending sure. on your distribution. Uh, let's call it methodology, and then you've got to get smart around the products that you offer and and how you offer them. As an example, you could try and stick with the you know the traditional method of providing um, fibre internet to a router inside a home, mm-hmm. or and and do that at uh, X price right. per day or per month or per week. I and mean, that's one of the, the products that we've built, mm-hmm. and that that comes out around 20 rand a day. Right. So also fairly affordable if you think you can uh, connect a multitude of devices to that you know to that yes. router.
0: And you don't have to pay for it every day if you don't Correct. have money. You get it's it's uncapped. It's it the, the same the
1: service as what you would get uh, in any of the affluent suburbs. Right. Exactly the same service, symmetrical, uh, and so on. Okay. Um, but you can connect multiple devices to it, right? Or you could provide access to a, a device specifically, right? Mm-hmm. At a different at a different rate. Okay. And then you can get the unit cost quite low, but what it means is you're buying access for a single device, as opposed right. to multiple devices. So So,
0: so you'd get access to <coughs> a smartphone, for example. Correct.
1: Okay. Okay. Correct. So there's a number of different ways in which you can. Let's call it. Uh, try and crack the code yeah. on how to distribute into these areas uh, and make it, you know, profitable and, and make the returns acceptable from a, sure. you know, from a funding perspective.
0: So you're not going to be trenching fibre in, into many of these areas. You're going to no, it's, it's like fibre uh, on poles and that sort of thing. Co- correct, mm-hmm.
1: correct. And I mean, there's there's even other methods, right? You yep. can put fibre um, fibre ac- uh, onto poles and then have radio. Access points on the poles and let the devices connect to those, like a Wi-Fi Correct. hotspot. Correct. Below the pole. Correct. Uh, Correct. Okay. But do it at scale and do it for you know Good. large communities. So you know there's, as I said, there's all of the operators are um, experimenting with this. Mm-hmm. Some more aggressively than others. Uh, but I'm I'm confident that between you know between all of us will yeah. we'll manage to crack it and we'll get you know, those citizens covered.
0: Okay, so is this a key focus area for Metro Fibre? Yes,
1: that's our, 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 our big uh, deployment push at the moment so is, is a, all, okay. all in those types of areas. Right, yes.
0: because the traditional areas are saturated. Correct, Okay. correct. And uh, can, you, can you deliver these services, um, I mean obviously you can deliver them profitably, otherwise you wouldn't be doing it, but do you think you can actually eke out a reasonable margin from these areas or you could, well, is this going to be a very cutthroat? This is,
1: this, is, this is the thing, right? Mm. Um, I don't think it's, it's certain in one way, uh, in one direction or the other. Mm. I think we're all testing it and trying to see, you know, what works and what doesn't work right. and where do the margins lie? Uh, are they positive? Are they negative? <laughs> right. What do the payback periods look like? Uh, and, th- and that's the sort of testing that's going on at the okay. moment. But it's, it's happening or it's being piloted at a very large scale. Mm. So I think we'll know the answer, okay. you know, fairly soon. And then you'll see another race, I would imagine, mm. into, into these types of areas.
0: It seems like a logical thing for the government to support. I mean, we, we've always heard about the need to bridge the digital divide, and it's been a Correct. focus of the ANC government. Do you think that um, there's there's a, there's a there's an argument to be made that maybe some of the funds from the Universal Service Agency, USASA, should be redirected to fibre operators? Yeah, you know, so those, these those
1: discussions are happening at the moment. Okay. I'm also, uh, I said on the... the Digital Council Africa board, right, and some of the discussions uh, are happening at industry level um, for access to those to that type of funding. Yeah, <clears throat> the only thing I would say is that you know if 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 the private sector can get it right, you know it's far more efficient and mm-hmm. um, deployment will be much faster if we can crack the code on a yeah. commercially viable model. Right, right, right. right. And are you confident that's going to happen? I, I I believe we'll find a way. Okay, we'll find a way.
0: Good to hear. Good to hear. What about uh, industry consolidation? There's been a yes. um, There's been some of it, as I mentioned. But do you? How do you think consolidation is going to play out in the space, and what role will Metro Fiber play in it?
1: So so there's a large number of FNOs uh, operational in the market yeah. at the moment. Uh, I'd say there is a let's call it a top ten, which are the ten largest uh, FNOs, and then there's a fairly long Long tail right I know that there will be industry consolidation because we operating infrastructure and to operate infrastructure efficiently and effectively, you need scale, mm-hmm. and so market consolidation will happen. Uh, the question is when and you know how fast and who who will get married to right. uh, what 's going to trigger it do you think i think I think um, I'm, I think it's being triggered at the moment with, you know, with the leafy suburbs sure. being saturated and operators looking at going into uh, lower income areas mm-hmm. where affordability might be an issue, margins might come under pressure. I think you need scale to to deploy um, and, you know, get mm-hmm. into the value chain and uh, cut out any, you know, potential fat that there is mm-hmm. uh, to ensure that you, you can reach these, you know, these people. Mm-hmm. So uh i think it's being triggered at the moment uh i think you know other struggles such as overbuild and so on will mm-hmm. also drive uh, market consolidation i mean you ask the question what is you know what is our role or metro fiber's role uh, in that consolidation yeah. process it's a it's a key focus for us to become a consolid- uh, consolidator in the market mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know i think with the you don't see yourselves being bought out. You see yourselves <coughs> well, buying other companies. Potentially, you know, potentially at some point in the future will be consolidated as well. But mm-hmm. for the time being, you know, we we have very strong shareholders sitting behind yeah. us. They're very aligned with with our strategy, mm-hmm. specifically around consolidation. And we, you know, we actively looking at you know opportunities to consolidate some of the smaller players into into our business. So are
0: there fiber assets out there that Metro Fiber is actively looking at?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So there could be some news on this front soon. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Interesting stuff. Let's talk about your price cuts. I think there's a lot of uh, interest there. Um, I was a little confused because you you made a couple of announcements over a period of months. Um, um, You kind of teased out some package changes and then made some further announcements about price cuts. They look very aggressive. Um, What was the thinking behind the new plans? And maybe take us through what it is you've done um, and what it is you're hoping that these changes are going
1: to achieve. Sure. Sure. So Duncan, we went through a research process uh, at the beginning of last year to you know, go and talk to our customers, um, not just our customers, also potential future customers, mm-hmm. to find out you know what it is that they're looking for in connectivity, right? What what are they seeking out? Uh, what are their needs? And what are their pain points? And the feedback that came back uh, was quite clear. Mm-hmm. Right? The first thing is uh, customers want products to be simple. And transparent. Mm-hmm. Right? I think the telecommunications market is famous for mm-hmm. obfuscating, especially in mobile. Uh, correct. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> obfuscating, you know, what is my contract term? What is the price that I'm paying? Mm-hmm. We we want to build products and put products into the market that are very simple and mm-hmm. very transparent. Right. So we only have month-to-month contracts. We're making it easy for people to cancel with us. Uh, we're making it easy f- for them to activate their services, and we're very transparent in terms of the pricing. The second thing that you know was quite clear to us is that customers are looking for quality and they're looking for performance or speed uh, and this is driven by you know the number of connected devices that are being activated inside homes okay and the more the more devices you have to connect the higher your need for line speed right so we we had a look at our packages, and it's not just about, you know, the line speeds we're offering and the price that goes along with that, but it's also, you know, about uh, how we service our customers and the other, um, let's call it, the flexibility that we add to, to mm-hmm. our product suite. So, we've done a way, and, and I think at the same time, we wanted to showcase what fiber can do as an access technology. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, just, just for interest, uh, in the broadband market, uh, fixed LTE and 5G is still more prevalent than fiber as more, an access more technology. More users. More users. Okay. Okay. We wanted to showcase what fiber can do mm-hmm. and, and to offer customers real fiber speeds mm-hmm. at affordable prices. So, what we've got in our product suite now is we have an entry-level product, which is the one I spoke about earlier, which is a 20 meg up and down mm-hmm. symmetrical service, either on a prepaid basis, where you buy daily, weekly, bi-weekly, or mm-hmm. monthly access, or you get a month-to-month contract, and we're selling that direct for 399 Rand a month, mm-hmm. which is amazing value. 20 megabits a second <clears throat> is actually pretty speedy for an entry-level It's service. It's a great product. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic product. Then... Uh, our next product up, uh, we've upgraded to 250 meg.
0: So it goes from 20 to 250.
1: Correct. That's a huge jump. That's that's our next level up. Mm-hmm. And w- again, why not have a
0: 50 and a 100? Well,
1: so that's what we've been doing in the past. But that's yeah. you you can get that from Anyone? you know fixed LTE mm-hmm. or, or 5G. Ah, right. As a as a product set. Mm-hmm. Again, as I said, we want to showcase what fiber can do as an access technology. Okay. Right. Uh, some of these other access technologies don't have the ability to deliver those types of services mm-hmm. you know, at scale. Mm-hmm. And that's why we went there. Mm-hmm. So, so the next level up is 250. No, up no, and
0: I just want to check something. This is um, on your own ISP, is that right? Correct. Um, do you correct. offer these sa- exact same line speeds to your ISP partners as Absolutely.
1: well? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, it's a very important point. Mm-hmm. Right? So our ISP, our wholesale partners, are ex- you know, extremely valuable to us. Uh, and we've made... All of these products available to them as well, okay. with you know the requisite pricing that goes along with why, it.
0: Why, as a matter of interest, do you have your own ISP business? On your so
1: government? we get that question often, yeah. and it's um, we started out as a pure open access provider, as mm-hmm. I said back in, you know, back in 2010. But what we realized is once we fibered up those those business blocks and we went to third parties mm-hmm. that you know don't have skin in the game mm-hmm. in terms of having you know put the capital down and ask them to go and monetize that asset for us, mm-hmm. you know, we would go to a meeting and the guys would say, absolutely fantastic, that sounds amazing. Then they would realize their customer's on an ADSL line and mm-hmm. still has two years left in his contract, right. and say, listen, I'll go and speak to him you know, when, when the contract's up. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't have that, right? We had to sort of take our destiny in our own hands, okay. and that's why we started selling direct. Uh, okay. And it's not an unusual thing in the in the telco market, but that's that's sure. the reason why it exists. Okay,
0: so you're going through the package speed. So you've got a twenty entry level product, then it jumps to two fifteen, you said the price on that is seven ninety nine. Seven ninety nine, and then beyond that,
1: then we go to five hundred. And these are all sym- symmetrical. They're all symmetrical, mm-hmm. and then we go to one gig. Our oh, one okay. gig is uh, one. So just gig. four plans. That's it. Okay, simple and transparent. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so the one gig is not symmetrical. It's uh, one gig down and five hundred up. Okay. And we've actually gone as is far. Is it difficult
0: to do um, one gig
1: asymmetrical? As is it a cost issue? It is. It is. Uh, it is a little bit more tricky than than okay. it is for the lower lines. Correct. Okay. Uh, but what we've also done is we've also gone and proactively um, switched out the routers uh, of the customers that were already on those packages. Right. right. Because uh, I think this is this is another important point. Mm. If you have a you know one gig line speed, you need an appropriate router mm-hmm. to go along with it to actually experience. I guess um, if you've
0: got a cheapy router, it's not going to it's going to top out at a hundred megs or something. Hundred percent.
1: Right? Mm. So,
0: um, so a lot of those routers you you you, 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 you swapped pro-
1: out. Acti- yeah, we've proactively gone and swapped them out, and we've also upgraded the the routers that we provide to to new customers on okay. these packages.
0: Okay. Okay. So the 20-meg
1: package, I presume, then gets a basic router and Correct. everyone else gets something fancier. Correct. Okay. That's right. Okay.
0: Interesting. Um, I mean, the, the substantial speed upgrades here, this is uncapped. Um, what's allowing you to do this? is there, Has the has the, have the wholesale input costs into your business come down? I know we've we've seen uh, the launch of the Equiano subsea cable in the last few weeks, or going live on Equiano. And, of course, the Facebook-backed cable called to africa I think, right. is due to go online sometime later this year. Um, what is this, the addition of this huge amount of international undersea fiber capacity having on wholesale input costs for your business?
1: Yeah, so input costs are are definitely or certainly coming down, uh, which is one of the elements um, that's driving some of the changes that we're making. Okay. But we're also taking a longer term view, right which just means uh, we want to push the market in a direction right. where people can experience real fiber speeds as they do. You know, in most developed markets in the world. Yes. So it's it's not neces it's it's not uh, in a one for one relationship with our input cost going right. down. We're actually taking a a longer term view, mm-hmm. and we want to So some
0: margin sacrifice <coughs> now correct. for future so, growth.
1: Correct. So we want to we want to showcase fibre and we want to differentiate it. Yeah. Right? One of the ways in which we can differentiate it is by the performance that it offers, mm-hmm. and that's that's what we we're trying to show. Mm-hmm. We're taking a a longer-term view.
0: Now, if you look at the mobile operators, and it's not just here in South Africa, they mobile operators around the world are talking about this, but but MTN and Vodacom here are as well. They, they're talking about transitioning their businesses from being telcos to techcos. Yes. They want to become more than just connectivity providers. I think... There was a lot of talk for many years about them becoming dumb pipes and companies like Facebook and Google (laughs) earning all the profit on top of those dumb pipes, um, which I think scared them a lot. But they they talk now about um, offering a whole lot of value-added services, talk about going into fintech, mobile money, uh, insurance. Uh, There's a whole lot of adjacent areas they're looking at going into. Um, Fibre telecommunications is a fairly new area compared to mobile, but do you think that – uh, companies like Metro Fiber are gonna look at adjacent areas to their businesses going forward. You know, once the I mean, at the moment there's a big focus on on getting the rollout done into yeah. townships, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But once all that's done in a few years from now, um, do you see a need maybe for a company like Metro Fiber and other players in the fiber market to to look at adjacencies and start to build other businesses on top of the Cyber infrastructure that you've
1: deployed. Yeah, potentially it may make sense. Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to keep the team very focused around sure. what we need to achieve. You know, over the next three to five years. So it's not a priority right now. Not not at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are introducing some again some value-added services that will enhance our connectivity offering mm-hmm. right? around uh, backup power and you know extending Wi-Fi mesh into the home and and these sorts of things. But that's that's to drive the connectivity experience as opposed to being you know, up your value-added service or an over-the-top service. For now, we'll leave those to, you know, to the Netflixes of the world Mm -hmm. and um, the guys who who exclusively do that. Mm -hmm. What what we want to do over the next three to five years is make sure we get the utilization on the network up. And we want to make sure that the customers are having a fantastic experience when they're using, you know, our pipes Mm -hmm. uh, or our service should they choose to take it directly.
0: Nothing wrong with being a provider of pipes. Um, you mentioned uh, power cuts. How does load shedding affect your network?
1: Yeah, so it's, it, it presents an operational challenge for us. Obviously, all of our nodes need to be powered up, uh, and we've successfully managed to do that uh, up when, to now. When you say a node, do you mean a suburb that's powered by a... Yeah, so we have a, a point of presence that would either cover one suburb or multiple suburbs. It okay. would cover a precinct. Like a server room. Somewhere, uh, correct. Some, something like that. We, you know, it'll either be in a container or a mini server room, as mm-hmm. as you mentioned. And we have backup power installed in all of our, let's call it, um, bigger sites right. our bigger nodes. Okay. Uh, and we haven't, it's called it, the the network has not failed because of load shedding mm-hmm. uh, yet, and it 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 won't. But it it has presented a big operational challenge for us right. because you know we need generators, we need backup for our generators. Right. We need to make sure we've got, um, you know, diesel at hand where that's appropriate. So it, it has presented a lot of challenges for us, but mm-hmm. we're dealing with it fairly successfully. And I think the bigger challenge for us, especially on the on the residential side, is ensuring that our customers have backup power so that they can keep enjoying the service. Right? right? There's no point in our node being up, the network's up and running and, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're one one gig down, five hundred apps working fantastically well, but you don't have backup power at home. Yeah, okay. yeah. So there's there's solutions that we're looking at, and I mean we so supplying
0: yeah UPSs,
1: but we we want to build uh, proper services around it as opposed okay. to selling devices. You yeah? know, right. anyone can buy a. A, you know, back a, a mini UPS mm. uh, from Takealot. We, we would like to service our customers. If it fails, we'll come and replace <laughs> it. Correct. We'll yeah. take that responsibility uh, on ourselves. So that's, sure. that's in development at the moment. And, and that has been a challenge. Yeah. Because um, we also get, you know, flooded with service calls where uh, power could be the issue mm. uh, on the other end, or, you know, there's reconfiguration that needs to happen post a, a, a power cut. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's caused a lot of uh, operational stress and strain in our right. business.
0: If there's a total uh, grid collapse in South Africa, which people have spoken about, and, we, and ESCOM has to restart its infrastructure, it's a process that could take about two weeks, I've read. Correct. Uh, are you, have you have contingencies in place in yes, that we, eventuality?
1: Absolutely. So we're we working on that at the moment. Uh, I wouldn't say we're 100% ready yet. Okay. Uh, but it is something that's very high on the agenda uh, in our business, especially given the time frame that you spoke about. Yeah. I guess the the major concern is the supply chains are also going to collapse uh, during those two weeks. So you know we can be prepared, be as prepared as we like, but mm. if we don't have enough diesel, we don't. Sure. You know we, we need sure. to effectively see it out on our own mm. uh, over a two week period. Yeah. So I think um, we we're certainly planning for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're planning for the worst and hoping for the best. Yeah. I suppose there uh, are a lot of
0: interlinkages in the system because you've got to connect onward to undersea cable, landing stations and all those things, which might be out of your control. Um, So if if a landing station goes down because there's no electricity, that kind of affects your ability to provide internet services. So I suppose in any sort of contingency planning you do, you'd have to speak to third parties as well and find out what they're doing in terms of
1: backup. Absolutely. I think the the, the greater worry for me is around fuel storage. Right. Uh, You know, where do we logistics? The logistics around mm-hmm. it, I think, um, gets a, it gets a little scary in, in yeah. the scenario of a grid collapse. Yeah, yeah. But we are we are planning for it.
0: What does your network actually look like? I mean, I think we've got an idea of how the fiber is deployed into homes and sure. in suburbs, and there are these I don't know what you call them distribution boxes in the streets, and those connect onto bigger the server rooms we spoke about, um, and then from there they connect into your into your core network. What does that core network look like, and how do you protect that against?
1: That shedding. so that's, so the, the the major nodes that I spoke about earlier yeah. they they effectively power our core okay so there we have you know full backup to deal with stage eight and beyond, mm-hmm. uh, and we have backup for our backup right. so you know we have uh, enterprise customers we didn't speak a lot about fiber to the business no. today, but we've got large enterprise customers including some of the big banks that rely on you know services that we provide them right. where yeah. our uptime SLAs are you know ninety nine point nine percent. Right. So we can't afford to you know for the network to to go down. Right.
0: Interesting conversations we have to have with South Africans, unfortunately. Um,
1: but, yeah, uh, running a business here is not for uh, sys- not for sissies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, let's let's
1: hope that uh, if there is a, a total
0: um, grid collapse, which touch wood there isn't. That we will not be resorting to smoke signals in the fiber network <laughs> still. <laughs> Jan Jan it's been great to chat to you. You are a chief executive of Metro Fiber. Thanks for coming into the Tech Central studio today.
1: Thanks very much, Duncan. Appreciate it.